exciting always to get into the Word together, I think. Uh, we're back this morning to uh, Thessalonians. Um, we've been alternating. Josh has been taking uh, Romans 8, and uh, I'm teaching through Thessalonians. So that's where we are today. And we come to a very important message about our response to God's Word. The Word of God is at work in the lives of those who believe it and receive it. Uh, but you must receive God's Word as a message from God in order for it to do you any good. Uh, the Word of God is powerful, uh, but that power works only in those who accept it as from God. The message about Jesus came to the Thessalonians with the power of the Spirit. Chapter 1 tells us that. And Paul came with a loving heart. He came like a mother and a loving father. And he came with godly character. The issue then became, would the Thessalonians regard the message from Paul as merely human ideas, or would they receive it as a message from God? And Paul rejoices because when they heard the Word of God, they accepted it not as the Word of man, but for what it really is, the Word of God. I mean, they received it just as if God had opened the heavens and spoke directly to them from His throne. And because they accepted it as God's message, Paul said, it performs its work in you who believe. Romans 1.16 says, the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I mean, to some, the good news about Jesus is the very power of God, and it saves them and gives them new life. To others, it doesn't do that. It does nothing. The difference is belief or response. Hebrews 4.2, the gospel was preached to us, but the word which they heard did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in those who heard it. Jesus talked about this in the parable of the sower. No more vivid story of this truth than what Jesus told. The seed that is sown is the message of the kingdom of God, Jesus said. He said, the soil is anyone who hears the message of the kingdom. They all hear the same message. And you know the story probably. One of them hears the message and he is hardened. And the devil snatches away what is sown in his heart. Another responds with joy, but when he realizes that suffering and hardship is involved, he falls away. Another hears the word, but is so engaged with his own life, his own riches and pleasures and his worries and plans that the word of God is choked out of his life and it can't take effect. Only the fourth person hears the word, holds it fast, and bears fruit. The point is many hear the message. But the response of many people prohibits the word from having any effect. And that's why Paul was so thankful that the Thessalonians accepted his message as the word of God. And Paul called his message to them the word of God. Verse 13, you received the word of God which you heard from us. Even though it came through Paul... It was from God. There was a voice behind God's voice. There was a, or there was, excuse me, there was a voice behind Paul's voice. 
there was a power behind Paul's voice. And the Thessalonians sensed God in Paul's message. And they accepted it as the very message, the very Word of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said, The goal of true preaching is always to leave a congregation with a sense of God. Paul's preaching did that. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, he said, Our gospel came to you not only in word. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just mere talk. But it came to you in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. So, Paul was preaching to them. The power of the Holy Spirit was present. And these pagans, these idol worshipers, living in sin, completely ignorant of the Bible, they said, these are not just the words of a man. What we're hearing is something more than the words of a man. These are the very words of God. And that response changed their lives. That response is what will change your life too. And it's not a response that you have only at one moment when you first believe. It's an attitude toward the Word of God that you keep. It's a disposition that you live with in order for God's Word to keep doing its sanctifying, transforming, life-giving work inside of you. To accept God's Word as God's Word, or for what it really is, God's Word, the way Paul puts it, it means to believe that God Himself has spoken to us. What do we really know about life and why we are here and why life is like it is? Uh, without revelation from God, not much. Uh, we are all in, the, all in the dark unless someone comes from outside our experience and explains the whole thing to us. God has done that in Jesus and through His Word. He has pulled back the curtain and explained how we got here what has gone wrong with life, why there is evil and sin, and how Jesus Christ is the Savior and the solution to everything. And God tells us, or He commands us to believe on His Son, and He promises that He will save us not on the basis of our goodness at all, but because of His mercy and grace. He promises to send His Spirit to live inside us, and He gives us instructions, or He tells us how to live in a way now, right now, that pleases Him as we wait for His Son to come again from heaven. To accept all of this as God's Word means that you regard all that He has revealed to us in Christ and in His Word as the absolute and final authority in your life. We fall to the ground, so to speak, before Him in reverence we fall in reverence before Him in His Word, and we obey the heavenly voice. We obey the message. We obey the Word because it really is the Word of God. Now, the Word of God here, as Paul uses it, I think primarily applies to the gospel message, which really is the overall theme of the entire Bible or all of Scripture. It's the good news about Jesus. Paul preached 
Jesus Christ crucified for our sins as payment for our sin. He preached Jesus Christ crucified for our sins, raised from the dead, and coming again to judge the world. And he preached Jesus as king. Acts 17 records Paul's visit to Thessalonica. We really aren't completely in the dark about what happened when Paul was at Thessalonica. Acts 17, verse 1. They came, referring to Paul and his companions, they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this is what Paul was saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, not all of them, but some of them were persuaded. Some responded with this proper, this right response of faith and accepting it as the Word of God. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And in this brief passage from Acts, Paul's Paul's message was, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Christ meaning anointed one, the one appointed by God as Savior and Messiah. Jesus Christ is God's anointed one. He is God's king, appointed king. Jesus Christ is destined to rule the world and to reign forever and ever. And Paul's enemies knew that this was Paul's message because they accused Paul of proclaiming what? There is another king, Jesus. And Acts chapter 17, the story goes on in verse 5. Paul proclaiming that this Jesus is the Christ, but the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, and they set the city in an uproar, and they attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd, not to have something good happen there either. They brought him out to the crowd probably to, to, to beat him up. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So the the Jews who opposed Paul clearly understood that the message was that Jesus is king. And they hated the message for that. The Thessalonians heard that Jesus is king, and they turned from their idols to serve the living God. They pledged their allegiance to Jesus They turned from idols to serve the living God and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Part of accepting the gospel as the Word of God is accepting the teaching that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. The gospel of Rome was Caesar is Lord. So it's no surprise that Jesus is Lord aroused such fierce opposition. And that's the part of the gospel message that arouses opposition today. 
As long as Jesus is presented as a weak, gentle soul, uh, preaching nothing but love and peace, nobody objects to that. Uh, It is His Lordship over all people and all time and over all areas of your life that arouses resistance. So the gospel message that Paul preached always contained an urgent appeal to believe in Jesus in a way that involved bowing the knee to Him, to believe in Jesus uh, in a way that involved confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So the response to the gospel or what Paul refers to as the Word of God, this essential Word of God, the response to the gospel that saves your soul and changes your life is to believe that Jesus is Lord, trust Him alone for the forgiveness of your sins and to bring you into a relationship of peace with God, and then to switch your allegiance away from all others, including yourself, to Jesus alone as King. The gospel message and all the exhortations to live in a manner worthy of God, as, as Paul describes it, the gospel message and all the exhortations to live in a manner worthy of God, Paul called the Word of God. And we now have all of this recorded, uh, not only from Paul, but the other apostles and writers of Scripture. We have this recorded in the New Testament, which is combined with the Old Testament Scripture, making up what we call the Bible. So today, for applying this all to us, at least part of it is that we respond to the Bible as the Word of God. For what it, we, we regard it for what it really is, the very Word of God. Of course, Paul gave, or excuse me, of course, God gave Paul unique authority as an apostle. He wasn't the only one, but he was one of the main uh, apostles after the death of Jesus that was entrusted with uh, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And Paul had unique authority to preach the Word of God as the Word of God. But God But God still uses people today to declare His Word to the world and to the church. And that's why Paul admonished Timothy to go preach the Word. We have a serious responsibility to accept God's Word when we read it in the Bible, of course. We also have a serious responsibility to accept God's Word as we hear it proclaimed through sound teaching and preaching. Uh, We should test everything we hear from any man, any person, thoroughly or against the Scriptures or against the, the, we should test it against the authority of Scripture. But preaching and teaching, if it preaches the Word should be regarded as a time to listen to God's voice speaking, and in, speaking in and through the Scriptures. Preaching and teaching is to be a supernatural encounter with God's Word. The teacher is only human, of course, but God is present in His Word and in the power of the Holy Spirit to be at work. 
And those who come to the preaching of the Word with that heart and with that expectancy are those whose lives are being transformed and sanctifying and they're growing and thriving and doing really well in Christian life. The Westminster Short Catechism said this, the Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, the effectual means of convincing and converting sinners and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. In other words, as the Bible is preached by human preachers, the Lord uses the Word as His tool, as His instrument to work in us and transform us. Uh, as the Westminster quote said, as a means of His effectual means of building us up in holiness and comfort through faith. I read an article this past week in uh, Table Talk magazine that said, it is not ordinary to be able to understand the reality of sin or to come to faith in Christ or to grasp the breadth or the depth of the Scriptures apart from preaching. As diligent parents shape and mold the character of a child through their words, so the Lord ordinarily gathers in and shapes His children through the preaching of the Word. And again, that's why Paul exhorted Timothy to preach the Word, to be faithful. And it's why it's so important for us to meet together and and expose our lives, to submit our lives to the preaching of the Word of God. So, what are the marks that we truly do accept the Word as God's Word, to accept the Word of God as God's Word for what it really is? Well, accepting the Word of God first opens you up to the life-changing work of God inside you. Paul said, the work in the ESV it says Paul Paul uh, Paul says God is at work uh, in you who believe I believe something like that the New American Standard which is what I'm used to said the word performs its work in you who believe the word performs the word is at work uh, the word changes your life it's a powerful thing it's 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 effective it's it's powerful within you it changes your life your direction your attitude. Uh, you begin to bear fruit. You begin to love people that you didn't used to love. Um, you begin to love people with the love that God Himself has poured into your heart. You begin to forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. The Word of God will affect everything about you. I mean, it's just a complete makeover when you accept the Word of God as the Word of God. It will affect your friends, your lifestyle, your Facebook page, your devotion to the church family, it gives you a new reason for living. Your life obsession becomes how you can please the Lord who gave Himself for you. So that's the first, first evidence that you're truly accepting the Word of God as the very voice, the very message, as the very Word of God. Secondly, uh, accepting the Word of God will result in accepting the opposition that goes along with it. I want you to follow the, the basic logic here uh, of Paul. 
verse 14, God's word is performing its work in you, and he didn't say this, but the, the, the logic is this, uh, God's word is performing its work in you, and that's obvious, obvious for or because you became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, and you suffered the same things they did from your own countrymen um, as they did from the Jews. So the key evidence, or one of the key evidences, the key evidence that Paul mentions here that the Thessalonians have accepted God's word is their willingness to suffer uh, for that message. Once you have heard the voice of God, you are willing to suffer whatever obeying that voice costs you. Uh, You won't suffer for something just because you think it's a good idea. You suffer for it because you regard it as being from God. They held fast to the word in their affliction because they valued it above their safety and comfort. Uh, It's like a choice. Uh, You can have safety or you can have the word of God. And the Thessalonians said, we'll take the word of God. Thank you. And you must make that choice too. Accepting the word of God means that you become willing to accept the opposition, the flack that comes with making that as your choice, your life choice. I think the story in Acts, uh, back in Acts 17, which we read some of, um, really sheds a lot of light on this. You know, the Thessalonians probably had fairly peaceful lives up until Paul came to town. Uh, They were living in darkness, uh, but there's a certain kind of fellowship of darkness with darkness. And they probably partied together, probably caroused together. Uh, They went shopping at the market together. They raised their families. They fit into their society and culture. But then Paul and Timothy and Silas came, and their message about Jesus split the city apart. And they were accused of turning the world upside down wherever they went, and Thessalonica was no different. There's no exception. And as Paul records in Acts 17, you know, this violence and hatred uh, for those who did accept the message ramped up into a fever pitch, and there was a riot, and as we read, they... They came pounding on uh, Jason's door, or I don't know, in some way it says they attacked his house, uh, whatever that means. And those who believe paid a huge price. Once they accepted the Word of God as the Word of God, God, their lives did not get easier, they got harder. Loyalty to the Word of God will lead to suffering for it on some level. And that's because God's Word is at odds with the world and with the prevailing culture. It always has been. This is not, this is not something new today. God's Word has always been uh, at war or at odds with the world. Now, of course, if you don't stand uh, for God's truth, if you don't align yourself with God's truth, then you won't feel that discomfort and disapproval. Uh, or even persecution. 
And I don't think this kind of, uh, I don't think this persecution always comes on the sa- at the same level or the same intensity or in the same way or even at the same time in your life. When you accept Christ, at first, you may not realize the wedge that that has put between you and the world, but it has. And the Thessalonians felt it immediately. You may not feel it immediately, but something will come up in your life and you will experience it too. And Paul reminded them this affliction came from your own countrymen. Uh, He said, just like the churches in Judea suffered from their closest family and friends, they they suffered from their Jewish brothers and sisters. You endured suffering from those closest to you, your own countrymen, your own family and friends and neighbors, the people in your own town. And that's always harder. But the opposition that you experience, Paul told them, it's, it's evidence that what has happened to you is real. It's evidence that you guys really did accept this message as the very Word of God. Because you're willing to pay a price for it. And they did not suffer in self-pity or bitter complaint or just with some kind of stoic endurance. Going back to chapter 1, verse 6, you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. I mean, the word got around about the, the way the Thessalonians endured suffering with joy in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul said, you guys became an example for all the churches to follow. Not only just in enduring hard stuff, not just in enduring mistreatment and affliction, but you, came, you, you became an example because you endured it with the joy of the Holy Spirit. And both affliction and joy, great joy, come from embracing God's Word as the Word of God. I mean, I don't know of anything that sustains my heart and my joy in all the battles of life and all the drama of life more than the joy of the Holy Spirit. I highly value that. And joy in the Holy Spirit is a clear sign of receiving the Word of God as the Word of God. Uh, When you accept God's Word, uh, God pours out His Spirit, His Holy Spirit, into your heart. And the Holy Spirit brings joy wherever He comes. He brings joy when He comes in. Uh, And a, a large part of the Christian life is just learning to walk in the Holy Spirit. And a large part of learning to walk in the Holy Spirit is learning how to walk in the joy of the Holy Spirit. And that joy is a supernatural joy. Um, It's a joy that overcomes our affliction. It's a joy that makes us overcomers in affliction. And it's a joy that even thrives in affliction. You know, uh, Jesus said, hey, when you realize that you're persecuted about something for my name, he said, leap for joy. Get up and dance. Rejoice. 
The Holy Spirit brings joy when he comes. But it's, it's a joy that, that, that comes with this kind of uh, complete abandonment to the word of God. It, it's not a joy that comes from just kind of dabbling in the things of God. It's a joy that comes from placing your entire life, your heart and soul, your every attitude and response under the authority of the word and under the kingship of, and, and lordship of Jesus. And there's so, such joy in that. And it's, again, this joy in the spirit, is, it's how we are, it's how we survive life. Um, it's how these believers at Thessalonia, uh, Thessalonica survived this affliction. It's how they survived people coming to the doors of their house and trying to beat their door down and attack them and drag them out into the street and beat them up. They survived it in and through the joy of the Holy Spirit. It's an incredibly precious possession. Amen? Uh, then after commending these people for enduring suffering at the hands of their persecuted uh, persecutors, uh, Paul launches into an indictment of the Jews, not all Jews, but those Jews who were behind much of the opposition to Paul's message about Jesus. And he just reminds the, the Thessalonians that, you know, this is nothing new that's, that's going on here. Um, he said, they killed the Lord Jesus, uh, they killed the prophets, and they drove us out from Thessalonica and virtually everywhere we've ever gone trying to preach the gospel. He said, they are not pleasing to God. They are hostile to all men in that they hinder us from telling the world how they, or the Gentiles, how they can be saved. But he says, but their sins have piled up to the full measure that God will tolerate. And now they are under the wrath of God. So first Paul said they heap up their sins to the fullest measure. Different translations put it a little bit differently. They, some say they pile up their sins to a full measure or to the utmost. But, but just the idea is that they keep piling up sin upon sin upon sin, especially by the way that they oppose the Word of God and seek to hinder it's going forth into people's lives. They heap up their sins to the fullest measure. That communicates that sometimes God allows your persecutors to continue for a while. He lets it go on. That is not a sign that God hasn't noticed. He's letting it pile up till it reaches what he regards as the full measure. We don't know where that is in people's lives. We don't know where that is in anybody's life, but God does. But he is not uh, ignoring what is going on in our day, just as he did not ignore what was going on in Paul's day at Thessalonica. God, God is fully aware, and uh, he, is, he is not uh, out of, things are not out of control. God is not wringing his hands. He's not nervous. He's not fearful. He's not worried. He's just letting the sins pile up till what he regards as the full measure. But there is a point 
when their sins have piled up so high that God is done. A point in which their sins reach the full limit that God will allow. And then those people are under God's wrath. Uh, or as Paul said, wrath has come upon them at last or to the utmost in some other translations. Even if the Christians uh, at Thessalonica didn't see any, any punishment on their enemies from God, even if, they, even if uh, it seems like just God was letting all havoc break loose, even if they didn't see God dealing with these people yet, according to this verse, God has already sentenced them to a wrathful judgment. The wrath of God spoken of in the present temp- tense. It's, it's already happened. It's already come upon them. The sentence has already been pronounced. All right. I know that's a strong passage. Uh, and some people may have trouble with that. But you know what? It is the Word of God. And so what do we do? We accept the Word of God as the Word of God. Well, why did Paul tell them this? I think, first of all, mainly for encouragement. Uh, I mean, when people are out to destroy you, when they're pounding your door down, trying to tack you and drag you into the street, it's always good to know that God is on your side. It's always good to know that God will vindicate you and that He will deal with your persecutors. Another reason I think uh, that that Paul said this was perhaps to guard them from taking uh, matters into their own hands, from... Uh, from, from taking uh, vengeance into their own hands. Uh, the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will re- repay. Uh, you're not to do that. That's not your business. It's my business. You have no part in that. I am the Lord. And I will take vengeance. Vengeance is mine. I, I'll take care of things. David Guzik said, uh, Paul comforted the, comforted the Thessalonians by assuring them that God would indeed take care of their persecutors. When Christians forget this, they often disgrace themselves by returning persecution for persecution towards others. Did anybody hear that? When Christians forget this, they often disgrace themselves by returning persecution for persecution towards others. Certainly, we ought to defend the truth of God vigorously, uh, but we are never concerned with paying back others for the wrong done to us. We let God defend us, and He will do that. And that's what Paul was reassuring uh, the Thessalonians about. So, as we get to the end of this, as we wrap this up, I just want to go over, some of this will be review, but I want these to be the, the things uh, that you leave here with this morning. If you receive the Word of God as the Word of God, 
you have the promise of God himself that it will be performing a work inside of your life. And that is a huge promise. It's a wonderful thing. He who began a good work in you will complete it or perfect it, clear up until the day that Jesus Christ returns. The Word of God generates new life in you and transforms you. Uh, the Word of God will work righteousness and peace and joy into your life if you submit yourself to it as the Word of God. It will teach you to say no to sin. It will move your heart to obey and please the Lord. Secondly, uh, if you receive the Word of God as the Word of God, you will honor the Scriptures in your life. I mean, you will, you will just place a high honor and reverence on the Scriptures as your final authority, as your final answer to life. Um, you, in a sense, you come to this, you come to this place where... Uh, you know, the, the phrase that Paul uses is you regard it for what it really is, the Word of God. Uh, it's, it's, it's like you come to the place where you bow before what God says. I mean, you just take, you just take, take a place of worship, of utter submission and yieldedness before the Word of God or what God says. And you will be concerned about being on God's side, not on the right side of history or culture, because God's Word is what you're living under. It's what you're living for. It's what you're trying to conform yourself to. You're not worried about all these other accusations um, about, you know, fitting in with what's uh, popular, current, and acceptable. And then this, I think, I think is really important, and um, I think it's a need, too, and that's the reason I put it in here. If you receive the Word of God as the Word of God, you will respond eagerly and with joy and obedience to God as His Word is preached and taught. You will come to church not expecting just to listen to a message and evaluate it, but you will come expecting expect it, exp, you will come expecting to be acted upon by the Word of God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And honestly, it's people that come with that kind of expectation who just grow by leaps and bounds, and they get well. They, uh, they get healed spiritually in their hearts um, and minds and lives. Uh, they move forward. They make, they make progress. Um, just such an important thing. If you accept or receive the Word of God as the Word of God, you'll be willing to endure whatever that means for you you accept the, the Word of God as the, as the Word of God, you will be willing to endure loss of friends or social acceptance for God's Word. And 
And you'll regard God's message or God's word as totally worth suffering for. It's just uh, like, I think, in one of Paul's testimonies, uh, I don't know if it was for Agrippa or Felix, it doesn't matter, but I just remember that, that phrase comes to mind about, um, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. And when you receive the word of God as the word of God, that's, that's just your stance. God has spoken. And I will not be disobedient to the heavenly vision. Will not be disobedient to the, to the voice of God. Then if you, if you receive uh, the word of God as the word of God, most of all, or maybe I should say of, of primary importance, you will... Uh, embrace Jesus Christ as your Lord, Savior, King. Uh, you will embrace Him as the one seated on the throne of your life. Um, most of all, you will accept the message about Jesus. He is the theme of the Word of God. I mean, ultimately, to accept the Word of God is to accept Jesus Christ and everything that is, everything that is true, everything that is revealed about him. You'll gladly embrace the message of forgiveness for your sins by his grace. Uh, you will trust in him alone to bring you to God and to make you right with God, to make you acceptable to God. You'll trust in him and you'll rejoice in him for that. And you'll love him. You will love him as your Savior, your Lord, and your coming King. And that's, I mean, that's the way, we've talked about this verse a lot, but that's the way Peter described believers. He said, believers, there that I'm writing to, you, um, you haven't seen Jesus, but you love him. That's what happens when the word of God impacts your life. You become a person, you become a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who loves Jesus. A person who accepts God's word will become a person who is all about Jesus Christ. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I mean, that Paul's life was totally, he just said... and. He, he said, I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer me, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And, you know, he didn't say that with regret. He rejoiced in that. That was the joy of his life, that it was no longer him, but Jesus Christ. And ultimately, uh, that's the place that the Word of God brings us to. Because it is, the Word of God is all about Jesus and relationship with Jesus and teaching us how to new, live that new life in Jesus and how he radicalizes us to the point where we can say with Paul, I'm crucified with Christ and I'm glad of it. Uh, it's no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ living in me and that's the way I want it to be. All right, let's pray. Father, uh, we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that your word is living and active and so effective in our lives.